All right, today's scripture reading is, let's see, Mark 7, 24 through 30. Uh, A gentle mother's faith. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician woman by birth, and she kept asking him to drive out the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she she replied to him, later, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the floor, on the bed, and the demon was gone. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to you who are joining us online as well, or watching whenever it is you're watching. I don't know. This is like a time warp, you know? Somebody could be watching this 10 years from now, and now I'm speaking into the future. It's bizarre. Nobody run up and jump on the mic so that you can get your voice in, too. Um, Well, welcome. My name is Josh. Welcome to Door of Hope. For those of you who don't know me, like I said, my name is Josh. Um, I am a uh, Oregon-grown man, I guess you'd say. I was born here in Oregon. I was actually born in southern Oregon, about four and a half hours south of here. And I moved up to Portland in 2005 to start my undergraduate education. And other than leaving for seminary, I've been here pretty much that whole time. When I went to seminary, though, uh, I was on the East Coast in New Jersey. I went to a place called uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And before you get too impressed, uh, it's a lot easier to get into the seminary. (laughs) It could be because there aren't 80,000 people trying to get into. But it is a lot easier to get into the seminary. And there's there's something, I don't know, a little pretentious about issuing degrees in a language that none of the students can read. Uh, so, you know, just, just goes to show maybe the education isn't as much as you have in your mind. Uh, but I, I bring that up because this passage that we're in today, so students led chapel there in seminary, and I heard so many sermons on this particular passage from students because it's so controversial. Uh, and if, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, does Jesus call this woman a dog? You know, like, it, it at least hits you initially as, like, is, is, that, is that even okay? Is Jesus being a butthead? Uh, you know? It, it, that's what our minds fixate on, right? That's what gathers our attention. It's not what would, have, what would have shocked people who were reading Mark originally, but it's what shocks us. So I just want to point out that that shocks us. That's where our attention goes, and that's okay. But that is not where the author's attention, or where the author wants our attention to be headed. So just because I'm not going to start out and spend the whole time on that, I will, ad- I will address this, okay? But I'm not going to spend the whole time on it trying to uh, uh, satisfy our, our desire to know what's going on with Jesus. So I'm going to preach like I usually do, and we'll, we'll get there when we get there. So let's start. <laughs> Whoa. Let's start. So a bit of context. 
before we get to this passage. If you remember, we've been in the book of Mark for a while, and Jesus has been doing his Galilean ministry. He goes around to various towns. He proclaims the gospel. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. He calls people to repent, and he heals people of diseases, and he casts out demons, and people are going, whoa, what's going on? And he even has his, he's, he's got, gathered to himself a sort of entourage, and he sends them out two by two, and they do the same thing, and they come back, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And Jesus says, let's go, let's go on a staff retreat. Let's get out into the wilderness, you know, I don't know, Eastern Oregon or Mount Hood or something like that. And they go out there, and everybody's followed them. So Jesus feeds the crowds, you know, a stadium full of people with, some, with one person's lunch. He feeds everybody. And then, uh, and then Jesus says, okay, new plan. New, new getaway plan. Uh, you guys, you guys get in the boat. Go up to Bethsaida on the northern shore of Galilee. I'll meet you there after I dismiss the crowds. So Jesus walks on water, walks, and he, they think, probably think he's going on land, but he walks on water, meets them in the boat. They freak out, and it says that their hearts were hard. They didn't understand what was going on because their hearts were hard. And then the next story that John, uh, or John, that Mark brings up is this little tiff that Jesus has with some Pharisees over, over cleanliness. And that's a bit odd for us. We don't think in terms of, like when we think of cleanliness, we think in terms of like that bacteria or maybe like navel lint or something like that on the, on the floor. Um, but unclean for them was something very different. And so this argument that Jesus has with them, it's really important that, that Mark brings this up. Because what's actually going on is Jesus is addressing a fundamental problem that human beings have. And that fundamental problem is that we know that there's something wrong with us. We know that some way, somehow, we don't measure up. Even if you're not, even if you don't believe in God, you still know deep down, I'm not all the way there. Now, if I, if I can keep my attention on people who aren't as good as I am, then maybe I can feel better. Um, Or if I work hard enough, maybe I can get to the point where I do feel better. But either way, we have this issue. For them, it was, um, you know, being clean or unclean. So I I made a slide, Matt, if you you can find the slide. Yeah, okay, so here's here's kind of the way it worked here. You got uh, up on the upper part of the line, it's, it's clean, and, and the lower part is unclean. And you, you kind of have these stages you have to go through to, to get to being clean, right? And I put down there kosher. If you don't know what that means, it means eating Jewish dietary laws. Uh, Hand washing, which is what Jesus was um, getting in a, in a fight about. Uh, Sabbath keeping, giving to the temple. Jesus also brought that up. Also notice that I put a woman higher than the man. That means I'm not sexist, by the way. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so this is kind of the way it works. There's this ladder, there's this stair tread that you have to climb in order to be clean. And lest we, you know, cluck our tongues too loudly at them, we've, we've got our own system of this going on. Okay, so next slide, Matt. Okay, so, so we don't say clean or unclean. We say worthy or unworthy, right? And, and what we're trying to say is I matter. We're trying to get into the, wor- into the worthy uh, bunch. And, you know, we can do that, like, by, I'm a beautiful person, I, I, I go to the right schools, I get the right career, I get the right job, I live in the right zip code, I have the right amount of influence, whatever it is. Maybe it's you wear the right clothes, I don't know what your thing is. Um, we're all, we're all 
trying to get to that point where we matter. I found a great quote because other people say things much better than I do. Here's a quote from Tim Keller, what he says about all this. He says, though we've abandoned the ancient categories, and by that he means sin and guilt and the clean and unclean, though we've abandoned those ancient categories, we still have a profound, inescapable sense that if we were examined, we'd be rejected. We have a deep sense that we've got to hide our true self or at least control what people know about us. Secretly, we feel that we aren't acceptable, that we have to prove to ourselves and to other people that we're worthy, lovable, valuable. That is, in the old words, we have to prove that we are clean, we are worthy, we're valuable. We have this innate sense that we don't measure up. You know, we, we love, we love uh, celebrities, we love the magazines, we love the advertisements, we love looking at, at other people as sort of like models for us to look up to, but at the same time they are so distant from us that they always make us feel worse worse about ourselves too. And it, this goes in the moral realm, the religious realm, you know, I, I put in here like beauty, career, zip code, and all that. You can, you, there's a religious version of this too, right? You know, I read my Bible enough, I pray enough, I don't watch bad movies, I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Um, you know, there's an old saying back in the, at the turn of the 20th century, a, a, a dancing foot and a praying knee do not grow on the same leg. You know, because there's a big problem with all y'all dancing, you know. And that, the, the dancing is one of those downward steps. You gotta, that, that keeps you in the unclean, the unworthy category. So that, we, we all have our, our version of this, okay? So let's not get hung up too much on, on particular metaphors. I think the point stands. We're all, we all want to be righteous, worthy, clean, however you want to describe it. We all want that. And we seek to establish it in two ways. The first way is, is, is through these stairs, right? So you, you probably have uh, an in-group or someone you look up to, some moral code, something. You have a way of saying, if I get to wherever this is, then I'll be okay. And I don't need to get into all of the people who've been at the top of the heap who say how empty it is up there, but they have told us, the successful people have spoken it is very lonely and empty at the top. In fact, very often when people come to Jesus, it's either because the world is too big for you, it's too much, and you feel crushed, and you have nowhere else to go, or it's because the world is too small for you. You've succeeded and found, I have, the world can't satisfy me, can't actually give me what I'm longing. There's something still wrong. So, here you go. That's the one way. How do I establish my righteousness or my cleanliness? Now, the other way that we go about this is by looking at someone else's unrighteousness or their uncleanness. That helps us sort of boost ourselves up. I think it's on the next slide, uh, if you want to turn there, Matt. There we go. Okay, so I put a dashed line saying that, like, there's more stairs down there. So in their, in their culture, it would have been, uh, are you Jewish? Are you, are you greater than 25% Jewish? You, it doesn't matter how high you get on that, how high you get on that ladder if you're not even of, of the right race. So that's really what we're getting into. What I had just described of the whole like staircase and all that, that's really the last week's uh, hand washing, clean and unclean thing. But we're continuing the same idea. We're just adding more stairs here. It has more to do than with, 
it has more, um, it's more than just a moral you do or you don't do this. It's your association. It's your, uh, for them it would be uh, ethnicity or race, but that's tied together with a whole bunch of other ideas, your philosophy of life, your life choices, all that sort of thing. So I put in there their context, if you're not Jewish, you're not clean, period. And that is, that is the real context for this. Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon. He meets a Syrophoenician woman. That's, that should be shocking. That, that right there is the part that would have shocked everybody. Not the Jesus saying, uh, comparing a woman to a dog. What shocked them is that Jesus was there at all. Unless we, once again, cluck our tongues too loudly at this sort of thing, we might think, oh yeah, we're kind of over that. You know, maybe we have systemic racism, things like that, like still residual that we're working out. But people, there, there are very, very few of us, you know, good people here, who are, still, who are still engaging in this kind of like looking down, looking down the ladder at someone else. See how I have the arrows? Like everyone's looking down at someone below them. Um, we don't do this anymore, right? Well, except for, you know, I mentioned that I was from Southern Oregon, right? And if you, if you know Oregon at all politically, you know that it's this, this ocean of red with like four blue dots in it. And they're called Ashland, Eugene, maybe Salem. Salem's kind of like a purple one. And Portland. Portland's the biggest blue dot. Now, you, you will, depending on where you're sitting, you will have a different metaphor for what those, those two things are. Either... There's this desert wasteland called Oregon, and there are four oases in which you can get water and sustenance and survive. Or, Oregon is a, is, is a lush garden with these toxic, four toxic swamps that you get stuck in, you know? And, uh, and people, I mean, I mentioned too, I went to Princeton, you might have an impression of Princeton, like once again. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, I mentioned to people back, back at home, they would, it was invariable. You'd run into somebody and their, their voice would kind of quiet and they would just be like, I don't, I don't know how you do it, man. I don't, is it like Mad Max, you know? Everyone else is just crazy, like, Shh, you know, going crazy, going to kill everybody. I'm like, yeah, no, no, not really. But we have this way of, of thinking about people who are other, they, they are some other political persuasion. I'm bringing that one because that, that's a really easy one. They're whatever it is. And that puts them at the bottom steps for us. We do it too. So there it is. I matter and they don't. And so, you know, you can say I'm politically correct or incorrect, but based on, like, you know, whoever your in-group is, you know, some people take pride in the fact that they're politically incorrect or that they are politically correct. And then, of course, the bottom is like, I'm not Hitler, Stalin, or Jar Jar Binks, right? That's kind of the worst Sorry, the dude who did the voicing of Jar Jar Binks, nothing against you, but come on, that's probably the worst character that's ever been invented for anything. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, so we got, our, we got our own ways of doing this, right? We got our own ways of looking down at other people because they don't, they don't fit into our system or our, way, our school of thought or whatever it happens to be. So that's the context here. Jesus is in, he, he's in the town. He's in the blue dot, you know, or he's in, the, he's in the red wilderness, whatever it is. Jesus is there where his peer group will say, you should not be here. And they might even go so far as to say, oh yeah, well, Jesus was trying to get on a staff retreat and he couldn't get away from, from people being in his homeland. So he had to go outside of his homeland. He didn't want to be there himself, you know. He just did it because he was desperate, you know. So Jesus goes into the, 
uh, into the, 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 the den of progressives or whatever it is, you know, whatever side you want to take. He's in their den. And it actually says here in verse 24, uh, he went to Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anybody to know. Oh, he didn't want anybody to know because he was in, in the wrong place? No, he was still trying to get away from people, right? So he went into somebody's house, which also makes you unclean. So he goes into somebody's house. And then in verse uh, 25, I think the next slide has the text. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's an escalator. I forgot to mention that. So this is a down escalator. If you get on this thing and you're working on it, it just keeps pushing you down. Like there's, there's no way to get to the top. Okay, that's what that one's about. Next one. Okay, here we go. Now you can read it if you don't have a Bible. I kind of want to say shame on you if you don't have a Bible. But churches are notorious for shaming people. I'm sure you have plenty of shame already going around, so I'm not going to say it. But it would be wise to, to have a Bible. Just saying. Okay, so in the text, immediately a woman whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit. Unclean again. Unclean spirit. Heard, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, when, if you would have been reading this, you would have been like, <laughs> you know, like, those people, how could Jesus even be there? How dare this woman walk in? How dare she come and ask something from Jesus, claim something from him? And once again, I don't know who your outgroup is, but it would be like going to whatever it is, the blue or the red, the blue dot or the red sea, being in there, and somebody who is the most, like, activist of whatever that side is comes in and is asking something of you. I don't know who that is. Um, maybe if you're more on the right, that's somebody who's part of the LGBTQ community or an activist in that. Maybe if you're on the left, I don't know, it's somebody who drives a... Tahoe or something, something that guzzles a lot of gas. Or maybe you can just think of Marilyn Manson. You know, I don't know. Um, but it's somebody who you're supposed to be like, Ugh, comes in. Jesus is dealing with an unclean situation with unclean people. How does he handle it? Okay, here's where we get to the part where probably everybody was singing at the beginning. Okay, how's Josh going to handle this one? Ooh, this one's ugly. Okay, verse 27. And he, that is Jesus, said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. So Jesus is using an analogy here. We know from Matthew, Matthew has a parallel account. And one of the things that Jesus says in that one is that he came to the lost sheep of Israel. So he had a mission. So we know it isn't just, it isn't, this isn't all that was said there. But also, I mean, keep in mind, this is, this doesn't seem nice, does it? It doesn't really seem nice. When I was, I mentioned when I was in seminary, students would, would, uh, would hound on this. Verse 27 is always what it was. And depending on where they were, they would say, okay, you know, see, Jesus had adopted just all the prejudices of his own time. He was just a man. You know, you might go, whoa, there's people like that in a seminary? Yeah, in the, in the seminary. <laughs> in the seminary there were. Um, and then you'd have people who would be like, utter denial. No, Jesus could not have said that. This is a scribal error. This, this is a story that's made up. This is part, one of those parts of the Bible that isn't really the Bible. Um, so you'd have those things. And then you'd have the, 
people from like the feminist side saying like, look, the woman takes Jesus to school. He's wrong and he gets corrected by a woman. And so this is, um, this is something that's really like uh, ennobling to women. And that could be true too. That could be true as far as ennobling women. I think it is actually. But um, then you have the conservative side. They would be like, well, you know, dog just, that word for dog is a diminutive in Greek, which means it's just, it's just like a little puppy. Uh, so it's not really a dog. I'm like, yeah, but it is. He is saying, he, he is saying it's a dog. Just because it's a cute one doesn't mean it's like a human. It's still a dog, right? So what do you do here? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I read a lot of commentaries. Here's one that I, I liked. Um, this is by a guy named Barclay. He says this. He says, no matter how you look at it, the term dog is an insult. How then are we to explain Jesus' use of it here? First, he did not use the usual word. He used the diminutive words which, which described not wild dogs of the streets, but little pet lap dogs of the house. So he's taking the more conservative side, right? Um, he says, in Greek, diminutives are characteristically affectionate. So Jesus took the sting out of the word. Second, without doubt, his tone of voice makes all the difference. The same word can be a deadly insult or an affectionate address according to the tone of voice. We call an, a man an old rascal in a, in a voice of contempt or a voice of affection. Lastly, and I think this is, this is what I think is, is the real point. Lastly, it says, in any event, Jesus did not shut the door. So what's Jesus really doing here? Well, I think that he's doing two things. One, we know from Matthew, he's, he's not losing sight of his mission. He has a mission from God. You know, he has a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers, if you ever saw that. He has a, a mission, and that mission includes priorities. So that God's mission has always been to the whole world. Believe it or not, God's mission has always been to the whole world. That's what he said to Abraham. I'm, gonna, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through your children. But Israel was, had failed over and over and over again in this. And so that's why Jesus had to come. Because the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, had utterly failed at this. And so God came and he selects 12, keep in mind the number 12 men who are representative of a new Israel. And it's going to be their job to take this to the Gentiles, which they did. And that's why most of us are here. I don't know if anybody watching this or anybody here has any Jewish blood in you, but if you don't, they just follow priority. So I think what, what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, listen, lady. <laughs> Probably didn't say lady. Maybe he did, because, you know, it's kind of insulting. You have kids. Woman, you, you have kids. You know that it would be wrong to take the food that's for the children and give it to the dogs first and then, and then give the children what's left over. It's an error in priority. Dogs matter. Dogs matter. But Jesus has his little children, and that is the people of Israel, just like she has her little children. And his, the 12 that he is putting in place will have their children, which will be the Gentiles. So he's saying, wait your turn. That's one thing. The second is that Jesus is, I'm going to be honest, I think that Jesus 
is actually trying to crack open her heart. And that might sit, not sit well with us. You mean Jesus can make us uncomfortable, can say things that are uncomfortable in order to kind of crack us open and see, show us really what's inside. Are you okay with that, with that kind of Jesus? Or does Jesus have to always bring you comfort? God didn't start with Jesus. He started with law, and that made us really uncomfortable. That's why a lot of us are uncomfortable with the Old Testament. If God is God, then it's his prerogative. It's his prerogative for the ordering in which he is going to do things and the manner in which he is going to do them. He's seeing how she is going to respond. Is it okay if God cracks open your heart? Is that okay? I hope so. The real question, the real question that we should be asking is, how is this woman going to respond to this? How does she respond? How would the Pharisees have responded? How would you have responded? Verses 28 through 30. She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. See what she's saying? If it had been the Pharisees, they would have uh, brought up that uh, that, those stairs and said, I'm Jewish, 100%, you know, whatever it is. I keep the Sabbath, I keep the kosher laws, I do all of these things, Jesus, so y- you need to give me what I'm asking for. He's asking her, what are you, you going to stand on when you come to me? What, what leg do you have? And her response is, I'm not worthy. She doesn't say, well, I'm a, um, my great-grandmother was Jewish, so I'm like one-eighth or one-quarter percent. She doesn't say, well, I've been to synagogue a couple times. i got some friends who are. She, sa- she says, look, you don't owe me anything. She doesn't, she doesn't deny Jesus. She doesn't say, I got my rights. She doesn't say, Jesus, you got your priorities inverted. She says, I'm not coming to you with reasons why you should give me what I'm asking. I'm coming to you on the basis of who you are, not on the basis of who I am. Not my pedigree, but yours. I know that you are generous. Had she heard, it's very possible she had heard that Jesus just made a stadium full of food out of somebody's lunch. She knows how generous Jesus is. Maybe she's heard that He's been trying to get away from people and they won't leave him alone, but he still can't help but give to them. That's that's how God is. She has good theology. God is like a never-ending fountain, always wanting to give and give and give some more. She's got it right. You don't owe me anything. I'm not standing on my lineage. I'm not appealing to my rights or my successes, I'm only appealing to you. And what does Jesus do? Well, his heart goes out. Verse 29, he said to her, for this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon demon gone. Now, interesting. 
it's, it's not surprising. You know, Jesus has done this over and over and over again. So you might be thinking, okay, well, you know, yeah, of course, Jesus did that because he's just a nice guy. And maybe that's true. But notice what Mark is doing. He's presenting this woman as having a certain kind of belief that is not shared by the in crowd, by the in group, right? So who are the people that you, the crowd that you would have wanted to be in in that time? Probably the Pharisees who are rejecting Jesus. And if not the Pharisees, then at least Jesus' inner circle. But the twelve have hard hearts too. They don't understand. And somehow, somehow this woman, this Gentile woman, this unclean woman, she gets it. A few chapters back, the last people to get it were a man whose daughter was dying and a woman who was unclean because she had a hemorrhage of blood. So, Mark is doing something. He, what he's doing is he's trying to, he's breaking the, this linkage that we have between a person's value and their ethnicity or their, or their background or whatever it is. He's breaking that, that link between your, her, your value and your heritage, just like in the previous passage, Jesus was breaking the link between a person's religious observance and the cleanness of their heart. See, we, that whole stare thing that I put in there, we made that up. Like, we do that. God didn't say, if you do this, then you'll make it to me. Even in the Old Testament, he didn't say, if you do this, then you'll make it to me. This is just what it means to be clean. It's not, it's not a ladder you climb to get there. It's if you're there, this is how you live. So, I'm going to try and end here. It's warm in here, and I see, I see eyes going, you know. Uh, I remember one of my professors said that a, a professor is somebody who speaks in somebody else's sleep. And uh, I don't want to be a preacher who preaches in somebody else's sleep either. I should ask my wife. Maybe I preach in my sleep. But either way, I don't want to preach in your sleep. <laughs> so we're almost done here. Application side. We'll try and bring it home. So, who's your in-group, out-group? You know, I, I've made a bunch of, uh, you know, I, I've, I've chosen the easy ones, you know, the, the, like the political banter that we have in this country. Those are easy. You know, but there's a lot of other ones that maybe are a little closer to home for some of us. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're I don't know, upset that Portland is, is suffering. It's becoming ugly and broken down because of protesters and the police with the protesters and the city that's not doing anything or isn't doing the right thing or, you know, homelessness or whatever it is. Who are, who are they? Who's, who's that group? You're just like, ugh, I hope they don't come knocking at my door. I was, very often when I prepare, the hardest thing for me to get is, is sort of analogies that connect to people. And they tend to come, like, right, bef right before. I can't plan them. They just sort of pop into my head. So I found mine yesterday, at least one of mine. My wife said, hey, we need to go uh, take some things back to Bed Bath and & Beyond and, and um, Hobby Lobby or something like that. So we went yesterday to Clackamas Town Center. Now some of you guys are going, already? And I think that's, that's like at least one of my out group things, you know, like I'm there, I was so mad, I was telling my wife, I'm like, 
I hate it here, you know, because I'm in this bin of consumerism, of mindless consumerism where everybody's just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but I feel better when I'm shopping and when I buy a new thing that I don't care about in, you know, in a month, you know, but we're just all out here doing it, just driving out, parking a mile away from wherever so we can shop for nothing. And I just feel sick because these people think that I'm one of them. You know, these people around me, they might mistake me for one of them, like I actually enjoy being here or something. That's my, that's my thing. That's the bottom rung. That's the bottom rung. Jesus longs to be gracious to whoever it is in that bottom rung for you. Even people who shop at Clackamas Town Center. No, if, if some of you love shopping there, that I, it's my problem. I ha- I'm the one who has the problem. I'm the problem, okay? Who are your, who's your outgroup? And can you accept that Jesus has grace and acceptance for them? Second application point, and I just kind of gave it away. Does not the fact that we have these groups that we're like, mm, does that not prove that we have the bad heart? Remember, Jesus says, it's not what goes into a person. It's not where they live. It's not where they shop or the fact that they shop. It's what's inside that's corrupting. I used to, I remember uh, um, here in Portland, it used to be like a fad to not own a TV. I don't own a TV. I don't own a TV. Yeah, TV is all garbage. You know, kill your TV. Then I found out everybody has their laptops and they have Netflix and they have Amazon. Like, it's no virtue to not have a TV anymore because everybody does the same thing with a different device. So we ha- just have this way of standing on this self-righteous ladder and looking down at other people. Who are yours? And does this not prove the, the nastiness, the uncleanness of our own hearts? See, you and I are, we're the woman. We all are. We're, we are at the bottom rung. We can't stand on our lineage, our heritage, where we were born, where we went to school, who cares if you went to Princeton or any other seminary, you know? God's not impressed by that. See, the whole trouble with this is we look at the outward appearance. But God says in 1 Samuel 16, you look at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And none of us can see into anybody's heart. And when I say that, I'm not saying, oh, you don't know, you don't know their heart as though like they are wonderful. Because everybody's got a bad heart. They got a bad one too. And the good news behind that is that we all need Jesus and he loves people with bad hearts. His heart just goes out to you. If you're standing on that top ladder saying, I got a, I got a, there's just this wonderfully clean heart because I'm not Hitler, Stalin, or Jar Jar Binks or whatever it is. He's not going to be of interest to you. He's not going to do you very well in terms of salvation. We are the outcasts and the sinners. And the outcasts and the sinners always loved Jesus. The gospel is always good news to people on the bottom, on the outside, on the fringes. It's always good news to them. It's those of you who are like me, who are kind of like, you start getting up in sort of middle class area, and you forget that your heart is just as, you know, you've just been able to push the darkness into deeper and deeper corners of your heart. We're no better. We're no better. 
We are. We are in the out group. Because truthfully, up there in the, in the top, the worthy category, there's only one being there, and that's God. None of us can make it there. The escalator goes down too quickly. None of us are ever going to make it there. But you know how we get there? Because of our connection to Jesus. God himself lifts us up there. Jesus, through the cross, came and made a way to wipe away our dirty hearts, to clean our hearts, to unite us to him in faith so that we could be there in the worthy category without having to climb the ladder. So if you've been on the stairs, if you've been on the escalator, it's okay to get off and say, I'm not going to do the dance. I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm going to say, I'm like a baby. I was trying to look for an image of, like a, a, of a, a full-grown adult, and all I could find was like a guy who's skiing, but he's so obviously, it's so obviously a skiing man that I thought that would be weird. <laughs> so the, I guess the baby, you know, the baby does, I suppose, you know. God says we're all children of God. There are no adults of God. They're just children of God. In truth, this is how we all are. Even if we uh, pontificate about what's going on in the world and how we're going to fix all the problems, all the smart people who go to Princeton and Harvard and all those other places, they're just babies too. Compared to God, none of us knows what we're doing. (laughs) None of us really knows. So we come to him in humility. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never come to Jesus, here's here's my appeal to you. That feeling of inadequacy that you have is there for a reason. And you're never, you're never going to fill that gap. You're never going to pull yourself in there. You know, if you can get yourself to look beautiful, you're going to get old. If you have a successful career, you can lose it. If you have a beautiful, wonderful family, they can die or leave you. It's, it's going to end at some point. You need something else. You need Jesus. And for those of you who are, you know, you say, I've been a Christian for a while. Um, yeah, you still need Jesus. We all do, right? Last time I was up here, I talked about the fifth Oreo. By the way, I, I heard back from some people on that fifth Oreo who confirmed what I said. But I'll, I'll, I'll just add, my, my wife corrected me, and she said, you know, you can get beyond that fifth one if you have something salty in between. So you, you alternate between the sweet and salty. Anyway, uh, I don't know how that, how that works here. All I'm saying is, we need Jesus. All of us need Jesus, whether you've been following him forever, or you've been following him for never. We all need him. Let's pray.